Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Brave Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. At the end of this talk, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can get even more connected to what's going on in our community. But most importantly, we hope the following talk inspires you to take your next step in finding or following Jesus. Man, I cannot believe that Easter is next Sunday, and I'm so excited that we're having a good Friday gathering for the first time this Friday, the first time we've ever done it. And so what we're going to do, just to give you a little preview, is we're actually today going to look at Mark 15, 1 through 20, and it leads right up to the crucifixion. And then at Good Friday, at our Good Friday gathering, we're going to finish out the chapter. We're going to have some time of worship and reflection. We're going to have stations set up in this room for reflection uh, around some of the things that Jesus went through on the cross. And so it's going to be a really powerful time together. If you can join us, we're also going to have kids care. We'd love to see you there. But today we're going to begin reading our verses from Mark 15. And if you didn't get notes, raise your hand. Our ushers will get those to you. But we are going to begin. Here we go. It says, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. Knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns thorns, and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe, put his clothes on, and then they led him out to be crucified. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I pray for all of us here this week as we move into Passion Week, as we reflect on what it is that you did for us in this final stage of your journey to the cross, I pray that we wouldn't be afraid to look at the darkness and the evil. Because in recognizing just how hard it was for you to do these things for us, we are able to see just how much 
you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, at the end of our passage, Jesus is being punched by religious leaders. He's being slapped with open-handed palms, slapped in the face. He's beginning to be beaten, but now we see that his torture and his pain that's being inflicted upon him is getting much crueler. I've heard this story many times, and I've heard it preached many different ways, but there's one thing that it almost always boils down to, and that is that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you are three of the most profound words ever spoken. These words are spoken on stages like this, in churches like this, on podcasts or YouTube channels like this, and the message resonates. It evokes a response. It sounds good because it is truth. Jesus' most central goal for you and I is that we would love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then we would love our neighbors as ourselves. In other words, that we would learn to live the kind of love that he lived for us, to give the kind of love that he gives to us. But I wonder, as I look around and I, and, I, and I see different things and just I've grown up in church, I've been around it, and I've seen how Christians act. And if we're honest, sometimes we are just as unloving as everybody outside the church. And so I was thinking about this this week and I was praying about it. And, and I just wonder if the way that we're defining love is inadequate. If we're not spending enough time talking about what it actually means to live a life of love and a little too much time just stopping at the Jesus loves you part. Because listen, Jesus' goal for you and I is not just to know that he loves us. It's to learn the way of love, to live the way of love. So what does love look like? I have my view, you have yours, but if we never discover God's view of love, if we don't adopt his way of love, where does that leave us? We will never become the people of God living like the people of God. The love of God is the most attractive thing on this planet, but it is far more than nice sounding words. A wise person once said, direction, not intention, determines our destination. See, all too often our love stops at intention. It stops at well-meaning intentions. But the thing about intention is without action, without steps in that direction, it doesn't amount to much. I can intend to save a portion of my paycheck. But if the direction I go is Whole Foods, no, I'm just kidding. But if the direction I go, right, is is never to actually transfer anything into my savings or to orchestrate my spending around that goal or that action, it doesn't amount to much. Today's talk is titled The Way of Love because love has a way. It's defined, it's specific, it's not subjective. It's more than good intentions. It is a direction that we walk with our words and with our actions. It looks like something and it looks like Jesus. So as we follow Jesus, we end up at love's destination over and over again. I wonder how many of you started driving post GPS. Anybody? Okay. We didn't have GPS when I started driving. You either knew where you were going or you had a map or you printed out MapQuest directions. You guys remember those? 
my grandma still has MapQuest directions to key locations that she keeps in her glove box just in case she forgets. And she has an iPhone. I don't get it. Do we have any Office fans in the house? The show The Office? Okay. I remember when I was in college, there was this episode. We would get together and watch it uh, the day that it aired. And I remember there's this episode where Michael Scott is trying to use his GPS. This, this guy's played by Steve Carell, and he has no clue how it works. Check this out. Remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No, up there. it said right. It said take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe turn. it's a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's well, a lake there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's not yelling. yelling. There's no road here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for Legion! Michael! Are you okay? Swim for it! I got you! I got you! Get out. Get out. Michael! Michael! Sometimes when we try to go in the way of love, we end up in a lake, right? We end up somewhere that we never intended to be. And we might think that we know the direction we're headed, but we don't always end up where we intended to be. And, and sometimes that's not a good thing, right? Like in relationships that we care about. You know, some of you know what it's like to say I do and to commit to a lifetime of love with someone and then to discover that whatever kind of love that was, it wasn't enough. Or in family relationships, maybe you grew up in a family that said I loved you all the time. But as you've gotten older, you've looked back and you've gone, yeah, we said it a lot, but I don't feel very loved. And I look back at some of the actions and things that we did and it wasn't very loving. Sometimes this happens in our relationship with God. See, no one starts off following Jesus with the intention of being derailed, discouraged, confused, disappointed. But like Peter, in our passage last week, what we often find is that love doesn't look like what we expected. That love often requires far more from us than we signed up for. So today, as we look at this passage, we're going to see what it has to say about the way of love. Let's take a look at verse 3. It says, the chief priests accused him, of many th- accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Number one, real love is bigger than being understood. Real love is bigger than being understood. Jesus doesn't defend himself. He doesn't fight back. Jesus leans into injustice on purpose. He was a hero at the time that nobody understood. Being misunderstood never feels good. We don't like to be misunderstood on small things or big things. When it's something small, you're like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. But when it's something big, you're like, no, no, that's not at all what I meant. Nobody likes to be misunderstood, but we all experience being misunderstood at different times. 
And so what we see in the life of Jesus is that sometimes love requires us to be misunderstood. I'll never forget what it was like when we moved here, when we first moved here to start Brave Church. My dad was in his early 50s, and he was on staff at the largest church in Northern California. And I only mention its size because he was financially secure. He had a retirement plan. He had a position that he could have stayed in for the rest of his life. And so when he felt called and called me and and we decided we were coming, I remember some of my dad's close friends started coming to him and saying, hey, Darren, your wife is ill. Your son has a disability. This is foolish. I don't, we don't think you should do this. We don't think this is God. This doesn't, this doesn't look good. And the truth is it did look foolish because it was foolish by a lot of accounts. But look at what a love that is willing to be misunderstood is building here. We didn't know God would give us a building. We didn't know he'd give us land or a future. And the greatest thing of all is that God has allowed us to share in his mission of loving people, of helping people find the love of God. And you know, it's easy looking back at the end of the story, right? It's easy to to get further down the road past the miracle and look back and, and connect the dots and see how good things panned out. It's easy to look at what happened to Jesus and say, man, the people that crucified Jesus, they're the biggest losers in history, right? They got it way wrong. They nailed love to a cross. But what about when we're living our story and Jesus asks us to do something that might be misunderstood, that might might not be understood or even appear as foolish to others? See, we live in a world that has so misdefined love that it can literally be doing the most, you can literally be doing the most loving thing in any given situation, and it can be seen as mean, it can be seen as wrong, it can be seen as foolish. Sometimes love means drawing boundaries for protection. Sometimes love means speaking truth that isn't easy to hear. Sometimes love requires correction. Do you love people enough to have hard conversations with a loving and helpful attitude? In Matthew 18, Jesus actually gives us instructions on what to do when we are hurt or offended, when someone has wronged us. And I just find it so interesting that so many followers of Jesus act like this passage doesn't even exist. Like there is no roadmap for the way of love in conflict or the way of love in disagreement. I want to read this to you. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now let's stop there for a second. It says, go to the person between you and him alone. It doesn't say, bring it as a prayer request to your home church, (laughs) right? It doesn't say voice it as a concern and get counsel from multiple people. No, that's called gossip. It says bring it to the person between you and him alone. It says woman up, right? It says if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. 
And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now that sounds really extreme, right? But it's in the Bible. And the point here is that love goes to extremes for the sake of people, for people that are loved by God, that matter, that are cared about. See, there are some people in my life that I've just met over the years from when I was younger that I know I can't spend a lot of time with because they've gone in a different direction because they're not committed to the way of love. And so I know that if I spend more time with them, I'll start doing some of the things that they do and I'll become less loving. When was the last time doing the loving thing put your reputation at risk? It's wild to think that the norm in our culture when we have a disagreement or we have an offense is to sweep it under the rug and just move on. That's often viewed as more socially acceptable. But what love says is I'm going to get into this mess and I'm going to be honest. Pilate shows us the opposite of love, the opposite of being willing to be misunderstood. See, all he cares about is his political capital. All he cares about is his image. All he cares about is what the people, what the crowd think of him. Pilate doesn't want to risk losing one bit of his public image, so he lets a murderer go, even though he knows it's wrong. But real love is bigger than being understood. Let's continue. It says, do you want to release me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas. Number two, love is crucified when people lose their minds. Our emotions are really fascinating. We're drawn to things that make us feel emotional. I think the mark of a great movie is that you're still feeling something. You're still thinking about it the next day. Music does the same thing. It can transport us into memories and feelings and put us in, a, in, a, in an emotional state that we want to be in. That's why we love music. When my wife was going into labor, I blasted the Rocky theme song on the way to the hospital. She laughed, and then she told me to turn it off. The gym I go to has different music for different environments. The weight room floor has a playlist. The locker room has a different playlist. And the yoga studio has a different playlist. Music can challenge us to perform. You've got your go-to song when you're going to push through to the end of that workout. Music stirs our emotions. And this can be a really good thing. But stirred emotions can also lead us to do really stupid things. In the Jewish crowd that wanted Barabbas released were some people that actually thought Jesus was awesome just a week before. These were the same people that celebrated him as their long-awaited king as he entered Jerusalem. And just one week later, they're calling for him to be crucified. Now, what you have to know about this crowd is that they grew up listening to religious leaders who controlled everything socially and politically. These were people that they respected. These were the people that told them about God and who God really was, according to them. And so they knew how to stir their emotions. Effective leaders throughout history have always been great communicators that know how to stir people's emotions. Adolf Hitler 
was able to convince 70 million rational people to engage in horrible atrocities and wage war against the world. Dr. Martin Luther King was also a master at persuasive speech. During the March on Washington, Martin Luther King delivered the famous I Have a Dream speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial to 250,000 people. In the speech's most famous passage, King departed from the written text at Mahalia Jackson's cry, tell him about the dream, Martin. And this is when Dr. King went from delivering a speech to preaching a sermon. And it is known as a turning point in the American civil rights movement. It's been ranked by scholars as the greatest American speech ever given. The only thing that these two men have in common is their ability to communicate effectively. But their mission and their values could not be more opposite. But the sobering truth for us to recognize, the sobering reality, is that had we been born German in Nazi Germany during the rise of Hitler, it is very likely that we would have been in his crowd. And had we been born Jewish during the time of Jesus in Jerusalem, it is very likely that we would have been shouting for Barabbas and to crucify Jesus. Love never loses its mind when it's loving Jesus. Everything must be measured by the way of love. See, when we are feeling the most emotion in a situation or when someone is talking to us or whatever we're watching or taking in or experiencing, when we are feeling the most emotion, we are also the most vulnerable. But love never loses its mind. We will all be tested by the stir of our emotions. Feelings don't always line up with the truth. When you're feeling a lot emotionally, you want to recognize, hey, is this in line with the truth? That's why we always come back to scripture because scripture is objective. Scripture is a measuring stick for how to live out love. Love is crucified when people lose their minds. In the end, the crowd chooses the one who takes lives over the one who is giving his life away in obedience to God for others. Verse 14, why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to be crucified. Number three, soul-saving love ignores the price tag. It ignores the price tag. When you think of something that costs you a lot, what do you think of? Some of you might think of your rent or your mortgage. Others think of their taxes. Some think of a vacation. Others think of a vacation home. But let me for a moment paint a picture of the entry price Jesus was willing to pay in order to be crucified for us. When Pilate hands Jesus over to be crucified, 
Scourging was the first thing they did. Jesus would have been tied to a pillar so that he could not move. And then he would be given strokes with a flagellum. Now, a flagellum flagellum wasn't a normal whip, okay? It had pieces of bronze, lead, and bone. They referred to it as a scorpion. The balls, sometimes having hooks, would cause deep bleeding as they ripped apart his flesh. Significant blood loss could critically weaken a victim. Some people never even made it to the cross. Love ignores the price tag. Jesus didn't tap out. Not for a moment did he think, man, are they really worth this? Jesus paid the price that we could never pay. He paid the price that we deserved. He was willing to do whatever it took to redeem us from our sin. Last month, my wife and I had an opportunity for the first time since our daughter was born to to go away for a few nights. And we were really smart. We brought my parents with us to watch Mia so that we could actually go on a date or something, right? And so I remember the first night we were gonna go on a date, first date since becoming parents. And during the day, I had some time away from her and I thought, you know, I wanna wanna get her a gift. I wanna get her something that she wouldn't be expecting. And I'd never bought her earrings before. So I was like, I'm gonna buy her some nice earrings. So I bought these earrings and I had them wrapped and and I just hid, hid them in a package in my jacket. And so the whole night we're on this date and then at the very end of the night, she's sitting across from me and I pull it out and I reach across the table and I hand her this gift. And she opens it up and she sees the earrings and she starts crying. Now, that was not what I expected. But I, I figured this is a good thing, right? She's, something good is happening right now. I just went with it. And so I hugged her and I kissed her. But then the next day, I was still kind of wondering about it. And so I said, hey, babe, why were you crying when I gave you the gift? You're not pregnant again, are you? But she said, no, honestly, becoming a mom was way harder than I thought it was going to be. And I haven't always been nice. I've been irritable. And I guess when I I saw this gift, I just thought, "I, I didn't deserve this. When I gave her this gift, it told her that I still thought about her when we weren't together. It told her that even when she feels like she doesn't deserve it, I'm still going to choose to be generous with my love. But... The significant thing in this moment is that there's some truth to what she felt. She didn't deserve the earrings. She didn't earn them. She didn't, she, I didn't have to buy them for her. It wasn't wrong or right if I showed up with earrings on this date. Just being there was enough. And some of you here today need to know how much God loves you and what his gift means for you. Because it's not until we can recognize how undeserving we are of this gift, how broken we are, until we can recognize the truth about our sin, the truth about what's inside us that only he can solve, that grace can come in, that we can experience the grace of God, the forgiveness that we do not deserve. Jesus is calling us to live in the way of love. And that is a path that over and over again recognizes what we do not deserve. Every time God blesses you, every time he brings something good into your life, are you grateful? Or do you feel like he owed it to you? So that's greed. Greed says, you owe me. 
God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. So for some of you here today, maybe this is a moment where you're ready to receive this gift for the first time. I wanna ask you to bow your head so that we can have a moment, an intimate moment. This is just between you and God, but also I wanna pray for you. And if you're at that place where you're ready to receive this gift, this undeserved gift, I just want you to raise your hand so that I can see the decision you're making and pray with you. That is awesome. That is awesome. I want you to agree with this prayer in your heart as I pray it. God, thank you that you did not give us what we deserved, but that you paid the price that we deserve to pay, that we could never have paid. God, thank you that in receiving this gift, we begin a lifetime of dependency on you, a lifetime of being led into a new way of living, a way of love. It won't always be easy, but you'll always be with us and there will always be grace for our mistakes. In Jesus' name, amen. The last thing that we see demonstrated in this passage is that love ignores the price tag. Soul-saving love ignores the price tag. Um, Imagine if we ignored the price tag. What would that look like? And I'm not leading up to a giving moment, so relax. But what would it look like if we ignored the price tag? I wonder what we think is too expensive that might lead to someone being saved for eternity. I was at the New City Center the other day, and I think I ran into like half of you. Uh, It was awesome. Everybody in our community is just loving this new place that we can go and gather. And so I was at the City Center, and I, I looked over and saw Rome Burger. Now, I love a great burger. Our staff, we can debate for an hour where the best burger is in the area, okay? But the cool thing about Rome Burger is you can create your own. And so as you go through these different options, you can upgrade like every step of the way. And the next thing you know, you're paying for a $50 burger. But seriously, it's probably like 18 and fries are not included. So it's crazy, but you can like upgrade all the way. And the next thing you know, you've got the best burger around. Now, for some of you, you hear that and you go, well, my in and out is just fine. For under $6, I get fries, a drink and a great burger. And for others... You're going, well, man, if it's the best burger ever, I got to go try it, right? Instantly, this room is divided by the price. But what Jesus did on the cross is say the price tag will never be the issue when it comes to seeing people saved for eternity, because there is no price that he was unwilling to pay. And so now we pick up that mission. We carry that torch. Some people think that having nice lights or a nice stage is too much. I think we have a responsibility to contextualize what we're doing for our time and our culture. Now, this may look totally different in 20 years. We might be in a room filled with candles, okay? But that's not the point. Lights don't lead people to Jesus, but the experience we have together has an impact. And God is creative. He created us to be creative. He uses He's the author of light. So why would we not bring our best presentation, our most creative, our most excellent, our most God-honoring presentation as we are sharing the gospel? 
whatever that looks like. Some people get caught up over things like spending money on paint or putting a sign up, right? I've been in church long enough to know that there are just like we have opinions about the cost of a burger, we have opinions about how a church should spend its money. And there are things we should and shouldn't do. But when it comes to cosmetics, right? When it comes to a sign or when it comes to knowing where the family entrance is or when it comes to the, the look and feel as you walk up onto this campus, honestly, there's times where I think, man, the church is not a building this is getting old. Why do we have to fix a stairway that's super expensive? Why do we have an AC unit that goes out? Why do we have leaking roofs? Like, come on. Maybe we just need to go outside or something. But here's the point. When your friends who don't know Jesus drive up and this place looks run down and stuff's not working, they care. It makes an impression because when something is taken care of, it's valuable. When something is kept up, when the best is put forward, it, it says this, this matters to us, this is important. But when it's run down, when a place looks dead, when it's fallen apart, what does that say? What would it look like for us this week to love in a way that might look foolish, to give to one another in a way that is extravagant, What would it look like for us to live out this way of love in our community? What might that do? How might that turn someone towards the love of Jesus? We will do anything short of sin to see people find and follow Jesus. Whatever that looks like. I was on social media the other day and I was noticing this church that is seeing a lot of people come to know Jesus and I'm really um, proud of what they're doing and they're going into a building campaign and I felt led to give to it and that's not even the church I go to right and we're trying to buy chairs like it's not even justifiable but that's what love does would you stand with me we're gonna sing this song called Jesus paid it all because Jesus paid it all for us And we owe him everything. And so we're going to declare that as we sing this song, all to him we owe. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Bay Area, we would love for you to join us at a Sunday gathering in San Ramon. For directions, gathering times, or information about our Brave Kids program, visit us at brave.church. Also, if you want to help support what God is doing through Brave, you can give online to the Brave Foundation at brave.church forward slash foundation.